Thank you for joining us for today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Today's message is from our guest speaker, Bishop Jamie Englehart. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear an amazing word from God today. I'm excited about the series you guys have been in. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd encourage them to uh, get the book. And, uh, you know, the, the, the truth is uh, a bunch of the guys that have been walking with me for 10 years or more read the book and they're like, well, we already knew all this. I'm like, I've been preaching it for like 22 years. Well, we already knew all this. I'm like, I've been preaching it for like 22 years. But thank God now some mainline denominational folks are getting a hold of it and people are actually starting to realize this is bigger than just a, a little small group that the new covenant is actually what we're to be able ministers of. It's what we should have always been preaching. I, I think the church as a whole is just starting to figure out what the gospel is. That's, that's actually kind of pitiful because we should have been preaching the good news all along. I wasn't raised on a whole lot of good news. I mean, turn or burn is not a whole lot of good news. You know, I mean, God's constantly mad at you. That's not real good news. I mean, most of the time, you know, I mean, I, I've said this for years, you know, that I was raised under terrorist preachers. You know, I mean, they terrorized us every single Sunday. You know, and I mean, it was just constant terror. And I think now I'm, I'm grateful the good news is being proclaimed all over the world and it's transforming lives like big time because people actually are leaving the building feeling better than when they got there. You know, a lot, a lot of times we were leaving church, man, dragging worse than when we got there in the first place. That's why folks just stopped coming. They're just like, I don't need this. I've been getting beat up long enough. And so I'm, I'm excited about where where God has taken y'all and glad to be able to be a little part of that. Uh, also, just real quick, back on the table back there, uh, I know there's many of you that maybe are new and haven't heard me. Uh, I carry with me as I travel around the country and around the world four USBs. Uh, there's 14 to 16 hours of teaching in each of those and about every kind of subject. If you want to even learn more about the stuff that you've been learning, I've got like nine hours back there on how God sees you and views you on your identity in Christ, nine hours on the love of God and how God, uh, his purpose. There's a whole bunch of stuff back there on grace and faith, uh, understanding of covenants. I mean, it's just 62 hours of teaching between all of them. And so I encourage you, uh, stop back and see me at the table and grab those. And also, when I was here with you last fall, uh, you could get my book on Amazon, but I didn't have any physical copies with me. And so you guys are now, I think, the 20th congregation I've gone to where I actually have the physical copies of my book. Uh, I, I would love to say that I started out to write a book. The truth is I just put, started putting up Facebook posts on different myths and mistranslations that I've studied over the last 28 years in Scripture. And I got to about 30 of them, and people started messaging me saying, you know, could you put all these like together? And it dawned on me I was writing a book. And so I stopped at 70 of them. And if you just want your Bible to come alive, if you want, it, maybe there's things you've been confused about. Let me read just a few things. It's, it's amazing how many things that have been taught to us that are absolutely pure myth. They're literally either not in the scriptures, <coughs> excuse me, or they were added by translators. Uh, but whether we like this or not, people who translated the Bible translated with their bias. Uh, there's actually a lot of stuff added in the scriptures. Like anytime, if you have a Bible, now some of the newer ones aren't doing this and they really should, but anytime you see a word slanted in the Bible, like it's slanted this way, it means it was added by translators. 
You know, one of the one of the most one of the worst ones is Romans chapter eight verse one. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Then slanted to those who walk in the Spirit, not after the flesh. That was added by translators because no condemnation is too good a news. We couldn't just have no condemnation. We had to add a work to it. So we had to add only if you walk in the Spirit, not after the flesh. It was completely added by translators, bent to the side. There's all kinds of things like that. I have people that, that constantly, if I talk about, you know, Jesus' love for humanity, and, and, you know, it'll always get brought up that Jesus, a woman caught in the act of adultery, Jesus said to her, I don't condemn you. And people always say, yeah, but he also said, go and sin no more. The truth is he actually didn't tell her that. That was added by translators, let alone most of the story. Why? Why would Jesus tell anyone pre-cross to go and do something they could not do on their own? Jesus would have never told anybody before they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, go and sin no more, because he knew they couldn't go and sin no more. All right, so but, but there's all of those things. Let me read just a few of them to you. The, the first one kind of punches you in the nose a little bit. Uh, is Lucifer really the devil? That'll actually shock you. We built whole belief systems on this Lucifer character. And uh, actually, it's found one time, only in King James and New King James, because they use the Latin uh, to translate rather than the Hebrew. And it's actually, uh, it's not the name of a person. It's a description of the star Venus. Uh, it actually, that's why newer translations call it day star or morning star. And it isn't interesting that Jesus is called the day star. So I don't think Jesus is Lucifer. And in, matter of fact, I, I like to tell people, I'm going to believe what Jesus said. You know what Jesus said? He said, I saw Satan fall from heaven, not Lucifer. And he said he was a liar from the beginning. Notice he didn't say he was an angel who became a liar. It means he was always a liar. Anyway, hallelujah. You're going to have to get the book to figure that one out. It, it, is God in control of everything that happens on the earth? Man, I sure hope not. Because if he is, I don't want much to do with him. That means he's okay with the sex slave trade. He's okay with Down syndrome. Come on, he's okay with cancer. Uh, the truth is this, the heavens of the Lord's, but earth has he given to man. Man screwed the earth up, and now man, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is here to put it back together again. All right, we're the agents of change that God uses to begin to transform the earth all around us. And, and for too long, we've been believing that Jesus is the Savior from the world, rather than realize he's the Savior of the world. All right, he's not here to get us out of Dodge, he's here to get into Dodge to begin to transform it. Hallelujah. Will the righteous all leave planet Earth one day and will it be destroyed? That one will actually shock you a little bit too. I'm going to behave myself right there. Does faith come from reading the Bible? I mean, doesn't the Bible say that? Romans 10 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? Hearing by the word of God. It's actually a mistranslation. It's actually translated hearing by the word of Christos. Actually, it's the word of Christ that produces faith in you. Do you know that Paul said in Colossians, the law shuts up faith? Do you know that there's whole books of the Bible that shut your faith down? Not everything in the Bible produces faith in you. It's the good news that produces confidence, trust, and faith in you. I mean, I could get up here this morning and turn to the book of Leviticus, and, and I could read, uh, preaching the Bible, I could say any of you women that showed up here to this service, if you're on your monthly cycle, we're supposed to take you on the parking lot and stone you. How many know not going to produce a whole lot of confidence in you? Or I could say, listen, if your little children were rebellious this past week, we're supposed to go stone those little suckers too. How many know it's not going to produce a whole lot of confidence in your children? Why? Because it's not, it's not. the whole Bible doesn't produce faith in you. The gospel produces faith in you. Hmm. Will God say to some Christians someday in the future, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you? 
Boy, that one got me saved at least 100 times before I was 12 years old. Man, preacher get up at the end of the service and he'd say, just like Jesus said to Christians in Matthew chapter 7, some of you, you'll heal the sick and raise the dead, cast out devils and do miracles, and at the end of your life, God is going to say, away from me. I never knew you. And I, I, remember, I remember sitting there thinking as a kid, I was like, so you're telling me I can serve God faithfully, I can do all this stuff, and like Moses, because I struck the rock at the end of my life rather than spoke to it, don't pass go, don't collect $200 straight to hell, I said, I'm going to go get high. And so I did for five years. I, I decided I don't want nothing to do with this stuff. You know what? I mean, if it's that difficult, why even try? See, the problem is, is Jesus was speaking to Jews, not yous. How I many you know Jesus, Jesus was speaking to a specific audience, and he wasn't speaking to any American in the 21st century. All right, The Bible was written for us, not to us. Right, it was written to a specific people at a specific time, and he's talking about false prophets, and he's talking to Jews who are justified by their works. He's never going to look at you and say, you know what, because of what you did, I'm going to say depart from you because you're not saved by works, you're saved by grace through faith. And he's never going to look at one of his own and say, I never knew you. Now, how many of you know it would be a different ballgame if he'd have said, you never knew me? But that's not what he said. He said, I never knew you. You and I have never to be afraid of him saying, I never knew you. I don't know about you, that's like really good news. That's like confidence to say, Phew. I'm so glad for what Jesus did. So uh, anyway, listen, I, I touch base on everything here from the age of accountability to, uh, you know, I've heard my whole life that hell is a place that is void of God's presence. How uh, I many of y'all have ever heard that before? Uh, if you go to hell, it's a place where God is not. Well, David seemed to not believe that. As David said, where can I go from your presence, O oh God? If I, make, if, if, I, if I ascend to the highest heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, hell, or the grave, you're even there. You can't get away from God. If hell is void of God's presence, then hell is a God to itself because there's nowhere God is not. He's above all, through all, in all. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He sustains all things. Come on, you hear me? So there's no place God is not. And if you believe in an eternal torture chamber, that view of hell, then wouldn't God's presence being there make it worse for people? That they could actually sense his presence and never enjoy it? So anyway, uh, anyway, th th this one, I already signed it for you guys because I know you've given your copies away. So I said, I'm just going to bless you real good right there. But also this, listen, anybody, anybody that grabs one of my books today, I believe big time when I was here, uh, last year, we showed a video for Compassion International. If you've, if you've never sponsored a child, uh, you know, $38 a month, clothes, feeds, educates a child in a third world country, big time believer in it. I've been overseas and see what they do, boots on the ground. It's an amazing ministry. I'm going to have packets back there. Anyone that also sponsors a child today, I'm going to give you one of my books signed as my gift to you uh, just to bless you because I believe that much in everything that they do. 82.5% of everything you give monthly goes directly to the child. Almost a billion dollar a year nonprofit, and they function on 18% overhead. That's ridiculous. Uh, that, that's some good, uh, that, that, that is some uh, good uh, uh, stewardship. I don't care who you are. So anyway, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 8. Let me get to my assignment. Commercials are over. Hebrews chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse number 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but don't freak out. It's only 13 verses. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. 
For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, speaking of the high priest, Jesus, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and the shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant. Everybody say better. Which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then there no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. He's quoting Isaiah. After these days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now listen to this verbiage. None of them shall teach his neighbor... And none his brother saying, know the Lord. Kind of messes with evangelism a little bit, doesn't it? Y'all are going to have to think about that one. Might hit you in a month. He said, when this new covenant comes, no one is going to have to teach his brother to know the Lord. From the least to the greatest of them, they will all know him. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. I don't know about you, but that is like really good news right there. In that, he says, a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete, and now what is becoming obsolete and growing old (coughs) is ready to vanish or to disappear. Now let me give you just a little bit of foundation to start. First of all, the, the book or the letter of Hebrews, shockingly, is written to Hebrews. How many of you know you're not a Hebrew? Some would say amen. Now listen, you might, <coughs> you might be here and you might have a Jewish descent, so maybe you are. That's cool. Nothing wrong with that. But the word Hebrew comes from a word in the actual Hebrew language, which means crosser over. So the reason... The children of Israel were called Hebrews coming out of Egypt is because they crossed over from from Egypt into the wilderness, and then they crossed over from the wilderness into the promised land. And so the whole book of Hebrews specifically is written to Jewish people who are transitioning from one covenant into another covenant. That's why when you read the whole book of Hebrews, according to that mindset, it begins to shift everything. Like, you get to Hebrews chapter 6. I mean, Hebrews chapter 6 terrified me most of my life because Hebrews 6 says, those of you that started in the grace of God, if you go back, and I remember the preachers getting up and saying, you backslider. You went back. You went back into the world. You went back into sin. But he actually says, if you go back, there's no more sacrifice for sin. And they're like, you see, you backslide and go back. You might not make it. Well, that's absolutely has nothing to do with what it's talking about. He's speaking to Jewish people who have transitioned 
out of the old covenant, they're stepping into the new covenant, and he's telling them, if you go back, go back where? If you go back to the law. If you go back under law, there's no more sacrifice for sin. In other words, if you bring a turtle dove to Jerusalem at Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, there's no more sacrifice for sin because that tabernacle is still existing, but it has no power and authority. So if you want to go back to animal sacrifice, knock yourself out, but just know that animal is not going to cover your sin because Jesus was the final lamb. Once and for all, they covered your sin. So the, 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 the only way anybody could actually backslide in the New Testament is they start in grace and they go back under law. It's not going back into sin. It's going back into sin management, which is going back under the law. Now, the whole book of Hebrews is about this. And this, the last verse of this passage bothered me for a lot of years because they didn't understand it. The one thing I didn't understand is that God gave the children of Israel a 40-year transitionary period. He gave them the wilderness journey to transition out of law into grace. Because, because Hebrews 8.13 says the law was made obsolete. The cross dealt with that. But then it says, and it will soon disappear. Well, that's not talking to us because it's now disappeared. But to them, it hadn't disappeared yet. Matter of fact, the law was still <coughs> to Jews in effect because the temple was still standing in Jerusalem and they were still going three times a year to offer sacrifices. Now, there was no glory in the temple. The blue smoke had disappeared. The Ark of the Covenant wasn't even there anymore. But that didn't matter. They were still going through the motions of their religion, and they were still doing the sacrifices and the cleansings. They were still doing all of that because the law had not fully disappeared yet. It had become obsolete at the cross. means it had no power anymore, no authority, but it was still functioning in the Jewish culture. And the reason that is extremely important, I want you to get this. This was the grace of God so awesome. Listen, we live in a culture where a lot of our traditions in America are less than a couple hundred years old. I know churches that have split in half because folks stop singing out of a book and start singing off the wall. And they'd only been singing out of the book for a hundred years. I know churches that have split because people got an argument about what color the chairs were going to be in the sanctuary. <coughs> or we're going to move the organ out of the sanctuary. <sighs> My grandmother bought that organ. We freak out on traditions that are less than 100 or so years old. Imagine being Jewish and for 1,800 years... Your grandma's, 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 grandma uh, times 20 had been bringing every year animal sacrifices. They'd been having to go to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, the only way you could even meet with God is you had to go to Jerusalem to actually meet with God. And in one Passover weekend, because Jesus says to Telestai, it is finished, not only do you not have to go to Jerusalem anymore, Jerusalem now showed up in you. You don't have to go to a temple because now you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you don't have to go meet with God in the building. God showed up in your house. I mean, that, that's like a huge shift in thinking. It's like, and so God in his mercy and grace says, I'm going to give you 40 years. 
to transition your thinking. And then I'm going to allow the Roman army to come in 70 AD and knock the temple down, lay it flat so you don't have anywhere to even go worship anymore. <clears throat> See, that's why Hebrews 9 is so important. Hebrews 9 says this. It says, while the first temple is still standing, the way to the holy place has not yet been made clear. So Jesus made the way at the cross, but while the temple was still standing. See, what was happening is that 40-year transitionary period is mainly when all the epistles were written. And so Paul, when he's sharing stuff, He's dealing, if you notice what Paul mainly is dealing with in his epistles, he's mainly dealing with people that were constantly trying to go back rather than go forward. Most of his teaching, he's like, who has bewitched you, Galatians? So, someone is practicing witchcraft on you because you started in the spirit and you're going back under the flesh and trying to do this on your own. <coughs> Thank you. You open it for me. Thank you. And so the whole, the whole mindset that was going on at that moment is there was this passing away of one covenant and there was the rising of the next. And so that's why you had things like, it still looked like there was some old covenant stuff going on like Ananias and Sapphira. I mean, if God's not holding men's sins against them, then, you know, did God kill Ananias and Sapphira? I mean, why would God kill somebody for giving an offering with wrong motives. And how come folks ain't dropping dead every Sunday? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I, I can't find anywhere in church history where there was any more drop dead offerings. It was like only that one time. And, and, and folks build whole, whole, whole systems on that. Well, you see, you see, yeah, Jesus started this new covenant, but man, he still ticked off. He killed Ananias and Sapphira. And, and nowhere does it says God killed him. It actually just says they died. Uh, I'm going to tell you what, I believe this is a Jamieism. The pastor can clean this up when I leave. I believe it was apostolic authority out of order. Jesus took 11 apostles up on a hill and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given into me, and I give it to you. He didn't give that to the body of Christ. He gave it to 11 apostles up on a hill. That's the, that's the historical context of that. And they had an authority that was an incredible authority. When God gives someone an authority and an anointing because his gifts and call are without repentance, he doesn't take it back, but he gets blamed for stuff that their lack of character does. I mean, think about this. Elijah, God gives Elijah an authority to call fire down from heaven on a sacrifice. The problem is Elijah starts calling it down on people. God gets blamed for it. We know God didn't have nothing to do with it. How do we know that? Because when Jesus shows up, the exact representation of the Father, and James and John try to call fire out of heaven, Jesus says, what? You don't even know which spirit you're of. In other words, I didn't do that. Elijah did. Elijah got afraid. Elijah calls down fire on, on two troops of 50. Finally, the third captain shows up with 50, and he says, hey, we're not here to harm you. We're just here to bring you a message, man. Don't kill us. <coughs> but his lack of character, his fear using still an authority that God gave him out of order. Peter's the one that turned us fire, and he says, all the men that carried out your, your husband, now they're here for you. Speaks a curse right over her. Peter constantly struggled with law. That's why Paul had to rebuke him to his face. 
I mean, Jesus is explaining to them, this new covenant is about including the Gentiles. Ten years later, God's got to take Peter up on a rooftop and give him, give him, give him a, a vision of, 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 you know, pigs in a blanket. <coughs> he's got to roll some barbecue out from heaven, and he says, go and eat this stuff. I mean, because he's angry because God wants him to go have a meal with a Gentile because he still thinks this is just a Jewish thing. He was still dealing with some serious racism. And God says, listen, man, this gospel isn't just for the Jew. It's for all of you. Thank God. <clears throat> and so this transitionary period is something we must grasp because everything shifted. Let me, let me give it to you like this. It's something I share a lot as I travel. This is also in my book. One verse that people constantly, and Andy Stanley did a good job with it, but he still missed a piece. One thing I get questioned constantly on, well, if we're no longer under law, I thought Jesus said that I did not come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill the law. Matter of fact, not one jot or tittle of the law shall by any means pass away until heaven and earth passes away and all these things be fulfilled. Well, we rarely ask all what things. It's all the things that was spoken about Jesus. But if we read that flat, and this is what Americans do. Americans get their Bible, and they read the Bible, and whatever it means to an American in the 21st century is what it means. The problem is it wasn't written to anybody in the 21st century. And to a first century Jew who was originally written to, they weren't confused by what it meant. We're confused because we're like, well, heaven and earth is still here. And if heaven and earth is still here, then aren't we still under law? Because Jesus said, not one jot or tittle of the law shall pass away until heaven and earth passes away. And I look around, I think the earth is still here. A couple questions you need to ask. Number one, why would heaven ever need to pass away? Was there a problem with it? And if there was a problem with heaven, do you really want to go there? There obviously wasn't any problem with heaven, and the earth remains forever. The earth is never going to pass away. That's in my book, too. The truth is, there's more than a dozen scriptures that show the earth remains forever. The earth is never going to be destroyed. That's why there is a rainbow in the cloud. That was actually showing us. That ain't happening. And so, what exactly is going on here? To a first century Jew, heaven and earth, to them, was the temple in Jerusalem. Matter of fact, you can look this up. You've got to look at the writings of Josephus or look up Second Temple Judaism. Second Temple Judaism was the people of that day. Second Temple Jews were not like First Temple Jews. They had been infused with 400 years of Greek thought. They were full of Plato and Socrates and dualism. It, it completely, matter of fact, do you know that Jesus and the apostles, actually the Bible that they read, the, the Torah, the Old Testament that they read, the Law and the Prophets was actually Greek? and not even Hebrew, they read what was called the Septuagint. That's what they would have studied. Everything had shifted over those 400 years. And Josephus tells us in the first century that to a first century Jew, they called the outer court of the temple 
the earth or the sea because that's where the labor of washing was where the priest would walk in and look at his own reflection. Then they would, they would call the inner court the earth or the land and they called the holy of holies the heavens. To them, their heaven and their earth was the temple in Jerusalem because everything surrounded the temple in Jerusalem. It was, it was their government. It was their authority. So when the temple got destroyed, it would literally be like someone nuking uh, New York City, Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, and Boston, and literally like telling America that most of your history has been completely wiped out and you got to start all over with a whole new government. There'll be some folks that say that might not be a bad thing, but I'm not going to go there. It was the center of their whole culture. It was the center of their whole culture. And so when Titus, the prince in general, came to town, between 68 and 70 AD, he was the one that completely knocked the temple down. Zion became a plowed field, and the place where they had gone to worship for years no longer existed. Matter of fact, Josephus writes this uh, a year later. He says, it looks like no one has ever even lived here. It got so knocked flat. The reason that is so important is because to a first temple, second temple, first century Jew, heaven and earth was the temple. Everybody say temple. Now, let's fast forward to the end of the book of Revelation. The end of the book of Revelation says this, I saw coming out of God, not out of heaven, I saw coming out of God a new heaven and a new earth. First thing you ought to ask is what was the old heaven and the old earth? It was the temple in Jerusalem. So I saw now coming out of God a new heaven and a new earth. We're thinking it's literally going to be like, anyway, you know, a 1,500-mile high city that's going to sit as a cube over in the Middle East somewhere, which would knock the earth off its axis, by the way, if you've ever actually thought about that. It's just 1,500 miles high, which goes into the stratosphere. We're trying to literalize apocalyptic language. That was tabernacle language that they completely understood. The truth is this. Then he says, I saw coming out of God a new heaven, a new earth. He's talking about a new temple and a new covenant. That's why Paul has to repeat himself when he says, Know ye not. Know ye not. You are the temple. And guess what? In that temple, in that new heaven and new earth, there's no more sea. Do you think God was saying, listen, man, someday when heaven is on earth, there's not going to be any more water, any more ocean anymore? No, what he was saying is there's no more outer court because you and I don't have to go and get washed week after week and year after year. We've been washed once and for all by the blood of Jesus. And now we are the temple. We're carrying this thing around in us. Hello, new heaven and new earth. Why? Because once I understood what the old temple was, the old heaven and earth, now I can know what the new heaven and the new earth is, and it's a new covenant. See, it's all covenantal language. We're, we're trying, we've tried to literalize for years. I mean, you absolutely believe that there's going to be a city over in Jerusalem someday or over in the Middle East that has 12 gates, pearls two miles in diameter? I've said for years, where are them oysters hiding? Come on, man, we, we, we get all mixed up in this stuff. Once you begin to understand the new covenant, you understand this is covenant language. 
And it's a better covenant with better blood. It's better promises. You don't have to go to Jerusalem anymore. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that as a male, I don't have to go three times a year to the temple in Jerusalem to worship. I can literally every day wake up, and I am now the inner sanctuary of the Holy Spirit. The Holy of Holies is taking up residence in me. And that changes everything. Now, I'm not trying to go in and out of his presence. I'm always in his presence because his presence is always in me. It's better. You see, that's why (coughs) once we begin to grasp this, that's why he said the new was made obsolete. Everybody say obsolete. We live in a culture right now where things become obsolete in a year or two. I mean, there's a reason why you get an upgrade in your phone every year or two. Because if you've got a phone that's like five years old, it's obsolete. I mean, do, do you remember when internet first came out and dial-up? We still thought it was awesome. You'd have to sit there for five minutes. You're waiting for that screen to pop up. And it is like, oh, this is awesome. And then I remember one time I went to, I went to a hotel. And they had, like, like direct cable internet. And it's like I pushed the button and it, like, popped up right away. And I was like, this is awesome. I, I went home and I said, I don't care what it costs. I got to get this because I'm not going to sit there and wait for that thing all day long. Here this last year, I, got, I went to a little town and I got put in a motel that had the old tube TVs. Like I, I'd not seen one literally in years. I couldn't watch it. It hurt my eyes. I'm like, how did we watch this? Once your eyes get adjusted to like HD, 480 to 720 to 1080 and up. I mean, I'm trying, I literally, I mean, I was going cross-eyed. It hurt my eyes trying to look at that. Why? Because it was obsolete. Cassette tapes. Eight tracks. Some of y'all showing your age now. Hallelujah. I, for about... Seven years have carried USBs on the road with me for all my stuff. And I used to have piles of CDs. And I still have people, don't you have any CDs? I'm like, they're obsolete. People download stuff. Or, or they'll even take the CD sometimes and they'll, they'll put it in their playlist. <coughs> put it in their phone. It's not that it was bad. It's not there's anything wrong still having some. Some folks still got some plastic. They still like some old school sound. But there's something better. That was good in its time. See, the law was good, and there was a purpose for it, but the law has now been made obsolete. Christ is the end of the law to him who believes. The law was dealt with 2,000 years ago. Jesus did not come to abolish the law in his life, but he did abolish it in his death. That's why Paul in Ephesians 2 tells us that the law was abolished. Romans chapter 7, he says, we're no longer to be married to the law, but married to the one who gave himself and died for us. And he's talking about a husband and a wife and a husband being released, or a wife being released from her husband. It's the same Greek word for abolish. Listen, the law was dealt. The law has nothing to do with you at all. The only law you and I are under is is the law of love, the law of liberty, the law of life in Christ Jesus, the law that says love one another as I have loved you. That's it. But see, if we don't, if we don't understand that, we get confused because I have people, are, man, they want to argue with me all the time. Well, I don't believe that we're under the 603 laws of the Old Testament. 
but we're still under the Big Ten. The Big Ten. And then I always ask people, which Big Ten? You have to get my book, because actually the Big Ten that's actually called the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, actually in the Ten Commandments that's hanging on the walls in courtrooms. I don't know if you knew that or not. Actually, the Ten Commandments that's called the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament has, has laws in there like when you, when you boil or when you like make a soup, don't put uh, the goat's milk in the, the goat soup. Don't take the mother's milk and give it to the goat, the baby goat. It's like, huh? I mean, it also says three times a year, gather all your males and go to Jerusalem to worship. Well, I don't know how we're going to do that today. Because first of all, who's gonna, who can afford to go to Jerusalem three times a year with all the males in your family? And what are you going to go worship? There's no temple. I mean, anyway, I have to get the book. Because see, the law is all or nothing. There's no, I keep part of it, and I don't keep part of it. James says, you keep it all or none. And so I ask folks all the time, they're like, we still believe we're under the Big Ten. I said, okay, let's say you are. Do you have service on Saturday? No, we meet on Sunday. You're under the Big Nine. Because Saturday was the Sabbath. You're not keeping the Sabbath holy. Uh, do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I do my best. Big eight. Do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? I, I, I try. Big seven. Hmm? See, the truth is love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus fulfilled the law because Jesus is love. If you're walking in love, you're not going to harm your neighbor. If you're walking, if, if you're patient and kind, not envious, not boastful, if you're not keeping record of wrong, all of the stuff that the law says to stay away from, you're going to do because love does not harm anyone. All we need is the law of love. All we need is love. The Beatles were prophets. Go back and listen to some of them songs. I'm telling you, they were prophets of, of their age. They just... They didn't want nothing to do with religion and church, but they were singing some kingdom stuff. See, the law has been made obsolete, and it will soon pass away. Let me read a few things to you, and then I'll wind this up. Are we doing all right? Hmm. See, there's nothing wrong with good. The law is good. But better is better than good. I mean, I remember the first time I went to Africa, and we had been eating ugali and soup. All the ugali's like this mutton-type bread that you, you sop the soup up, and I got so tired of it. And we drove by a Mickey D's. And I was like, stop there. Because when you're hungry, a Mickey D's burger is a good burger. But B-dubs is better. Five guys, anyway. There's some that are better. You Renting a house is good because you get a house, but owning one, it's still better. Losing a few pounds is good, but being healthy is better. 
Texas Tech Red Raiders. Texas A&M, UT, our good education. But Harvard, University of Michigan, uh, is better. Katy Perry's a good singer. But Adele, much better. Some Mariah and some Whitney, I mean, just sing the piano. I mean, Good is good. We love good, but, but man, better. You can, get a, you can get a decent steak at Chili's and Applebee's. But Ruth Chris, Lord have mercy. It's better. You see, what the church has done is we've settled for the good. When, when you study... The whole book of Hebrews, chapter 1, sonship is better than angels. Chapter 2, we have better dominion through a better gospel. Chapter 3, better builder and better house. 4, better Sabbath and better high priest. 5, Melchizedek, a better priesthood. 6, better promises. 7, a better testament. 8, a better covenant. 9, better blood. 10, better day. 11, better faith. 12, better kingdom and relationship. 13, better city and better sacrifice. It's better. We, We serve a God. I don't know why anybody would want to go hang out in the good when they have the better. Let me, let me say this. <clears throat> Not all of the Old Testament is the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant did not start until Sinai. Before that, there was the Edenic Covenant, the Adamic Covenant, There was the Abrahamic covenant. In the middle of the old covenant, there was the Davidic covenant. And not everything in the New Testament is the new covenant. The new covenant did not start until the resurrection. So Jesus is not speaking to new covenant people. Most of his message is to old covenant people, explaining to them what was passing away and what was coming on the scene. That that, that is why... It's so important to understand that because when when we view everything in the New Testament as the New Covenant, then we read Romans 7 and say, well, God's going to say to some people someday, depart from me, I never knew you, because Jesus was speaking to Christians. Actually, there were no Christians until after the cross. Nobody was a Christian pre-cross because the testator had not died. The covenant had not been enacted. So when you're reading the words in red, It's not that they're not important. It's not that they're not for you, but understand who he was speaking the words in red to. Words in red. What's the greatest commandment, Rabbi? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. That was the greatest commandment under the law, but we're not under law. Nothing wrong with loving your neighbor as you love yourself, but it's extremely conditional in how you feel about you. Hmm? Nothing wrong with loving your neighbor as you love yourself, but what if you have a day where you don't like yourself? Don't run into that person on that day because they're going to love you according to what they feel about themselves. See, that's why Jesus gave a new commandment. He said, I want you to love the way I loved, not the way you love. I don't want you to just love your neighbor the way you love yourself. I want you to love your neighbor the way I loved you. That's a whole nother level. That raises the bar 
To like means you're always patient with people. You're kind with people. You're not easily angered. You keep no record of wrong. That's the heart of Christ. It's better. You see, Moses is better than Jesus. Moses was good, but Jesus is better. Under Moses, 3,000 die when they come to the mountain. Under Jesus, 3,000 on the day of Pentecost receive life. Moses was about sin and death. Christ is about life in Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, Moses had to take off his shoes standing before God. <coughs> living living in, in that dimension and that day. But then you get to the New Testament and Jesus starts telling a story about his son who when he comes to his father, his father doesn't run to him and say, take your shoes off because I'm holy and you're no good. He brings him some new shoes. In the Old Testament, the temple was inaugurated and 120 people fell to the floor <coughs> as dead men. But on the day of Pentecost, 120 were raised up and sent out to the whole world to transform it. Jesus is better. The new covenant is better. It is beyond me why people still want to keep going back. They keep on pulling. They keep on to pull all the mixture and the, <coughs> the fear because they were raised under it, because they were taught. They were taught. Everything in the Bible is equal. It's all the Word of God. Well, actually, the Bible contains the Word of God. Because when the Word of God showed up, he rebuked some of the Bible. That'll just make your head go this way just a little bit. Jesus is the Word of God. Only Jesus is the Word of God. The scriptures are incredible. I love the scriptures, but guess what? Jesus shows up on the, mount, on the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, you've heard said. Moses said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. In other words, Moses said, if someone hits you, knock them out. You can hit them right back. But I say, love your enemies. Bless those that despitefully use you. In other words, he didn't just shift it. He gave the polar opposite view. In other words, Moses said that. Daddy and I didn't. doesn't mean the Bible's not important. It doesn't mean the Bible's not the scriptures. I'm convinced of this. In the Bible Belt in America, we have produced more Biblians than Christians. We have people that follow the Bible to a T, and they'll take the Bible, beat people over the head with it, and totally miss the heart of Jesus. Our job is to be conformed to his image, not a book. doesn't mean the book's not important. I thank God I've got 50 versions on my phone. I'm glad that I have it, but, but that's not what we worship. The author is who we worship. It's the resurrection and the Christ that we worship. Let's see, if we don't understand that, it leaves us in all of this confusion and we'll settle for the good when we've been given the better. It's a new and a better way. It's a new and a better covenant. What Jesus did supersedes. For me, the picture, and uh, someone come play softly for me. I'd appreciate it. It'll shut me up. To me, one of the most powerful passages in the New Testament is the Mount of Transfiguration. On the Mount of Transfiguration, you have Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And Moses and Elijah 
are discussing with Jesus his death. Wouldn't that have been an interesting conversation? I would love to just kind of listen in on that one. Because you see, the law and the prophets speak of Jesus. So they're sharing with Jesus about what was said about him through the law and the prophets. But then Peter comes walking up. And I don't know how Peter recognized Moses and Elijah. But he starts talking. I mean, is that necromancy? I mean, they were dead, right? What's he doing talking to dead folks? Matter of fact, if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, listen, your loved ones don't die. The truth is they're more alive now than they've ever been. They just passed into another dimension. That's why some of you have probably actually heard them at times and been scared to talk about it. Because you think the Bible teaches against that. But Jesus was standing there talking to a couple folks who had already died. Didn't freak him out. I mean, you know, when you shed this body, you're more alive than you've ever been. I get frustrated at funerals and people are talking about, well, they're dead, they're died. It's like, they're actually living now more than ever, just in a different realm. We're compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. Right now, we're surrounded by those that have gone on before us. I don't, I don't believe when we die, it's not about going up or going down. I think we just go through. Why? Because the kingdom of God is, it's at hand. It's, it's, it's in us. It's among us. It's all around us. Hallelujah. We get terrified by stuff we shouldn't be terrified about. Matter of fact, there's all kinds of scripture for different stuff. But Peter walks up and Peter gives a nice little Jewish answer. He's like, "Um, Jesus, shall we build three synagogues? In other words, let's worship the law. Let's worship the prophets. And let's just add Jesus to our religion. Because when you build a synagogue, that's a place of worship. And the moment he says, let's build three synagogues, immediately, Moses and Elijah are gone. Jesus is standing there all by himself. And the Father's voice from heaven booms and says, this is my son, hear him. In other words, don't hear them. Their only purpose was to point to him. Hebrews chapter 1, in times past, God has spoken to us through the prophets. But now in these days, he has spoken to us by his dear son. We don't get righteousness from Moses and Elijah. And you can sing it all day long, but these are not the days of Elijah. These are not the days of Moses. Righteousness being restored. How did Moses restore righteousness? There was no righteousness under the law. None righteous, no, not one. These are not the days of Elijah. God's not dropping fire out of heaven, nor is he sending hurricanes. Nor is he sending hurricanes to hit Houston because of the sin of the mayor. You know what always blows me away? It seems like these hurricanes that God keeps sending, 
only hits the Bible Belt. I mean, how come it don't hit San Francisco, California, the Northwest? How come it only seems to hit the Bible Belt? I mean, does that mean God's more ticked off at religion? Or maybe because God is not counting men's sins against them or imputing unrighteousness towards us. And he's forgiven us completely. You know what Colossians 2 says? Colossians 2 says that while we were still in sin, Christ quickened us, made us alive, and completely forgave us. That means all that happened before you ever prayed a prayer or walked down an aisle. He completely forgave us, made you alive at the cross. That's why you don't, ju- you don't just go to heaven when you die. You went to heaven when Jesus died. When he died, you died with him. When he was raised, you were raised with him. That, that, that ought to encourage you a little bit to say, hey, I'm already a citizen. I'm already there. Someone just needs to inform me that I'm already there. And if I don't believe it, I don't ever get to enjoy heaven on earth because I'm constantly trying to get somewhere I already am. Transform the whole way you view everything. The law and the prophets had a purpose. They were good. But Jesus is better. I want to encourage you on this journey. Man, let God just turn everything upside down in you. Because there's a lot of stuff that we've been taught that brought nothing but confusion to us. And a lot of us were taught how to be good Biblians, but not necessarily good Christians. I was a really good Biblian at one time. I would use scripture to beat you, to knock you upside the head. I used scripture before to not go to meals with people. Remember a couple asked me one time, we, we want to just hang out with you. I said, so you want my personal time or ministry? Well, we don't want any ministry. We just want to hang out with you. I said, so you want my personal time? They're like, yeah. I'm like, do you tithe? They're like, well, why would you ask us that? I said, I don't hang out with cursed people. Oh, yeah, I was serious as a heart attack. Because you're not my brother. You're not my sister. My brother and my sister, are they that do the will of the Father? You ain't even tithing. You don't do the will of the Father. You ain't my brother and my sister. That's called taking scriptures and twisting it. <coughs> Completely out of context. I was sincerely wrong about a whole lot of stuff. But I was good at keeping the Bible missing the heart of Jesus we've got so many people that will stand with picket signs screaming at people and not acting like Jesus at all it's time the body of Christ actually become Christians we actually be like Jesus what a shocker imagine what would happen if the whole body of Christ actually started living like Jesus started loving our enemy, started living incarnationally, started loving our our neighbors radically, started loving the least of these, started loving the marginalized, started actually caring for widows and orphans, actually caring for whoever those people are in your life. I think we turn the world upside down. I want to encourage you guys. Keep going for the better. Don't be satisfied with just the good. I don't fight people anymore that say they still want to be under the Ten Commandments. I just say, knock yourself out. 
the law will have its purpose in your life anyway. It'll wear you out and you're going to come one day and you're going to be exhausted and tired because you're going to do all of this works righteousness and you're going to realize you can't do it no matter how hard you try anyway. So why not just start relying on Jesus right now? He's the one that saves you. He's the one that redeems you. He's the one we're called to imitate and be like. And it's time. It's time that we do that. The good news is this. The law now has not only been made obsolete, it has now passed away. Because we're living not on the other side of the cross, we're living on the other side of 70 AD. The temple was destroyed. The temple was knocked down. It's not going to be rebuilt. I don't care what all your end time guys say. Even if you rebuild the temple, you will never be able to find a Levitical priesthood. You cannot prove it because all of the records were destroyed. You cannot find a Levitical priesthood. It doesn't exist on the planet. So even if you build a temple, you're not going to have any priest. It'll be fake priest. So if you want to send some money to Israel to rebuild the temple, knock yourself out. But you are the temple. You got to start building the body of Christ rather than worrying about sticks and stones over in Palestine. Hmm? See, we get caught up and the enemy loves to get his focus on stuff that only a few people care about. And we've got a whole world that's lost, undone, don't even know what Christ has done and we're carrying this amazing news that God's better than you thought. He's nicer than you thought. Jesus is more awesome than you ever dreamed. And his heart is huge towards you. Bow your heads a moment, would you? Father, I thank you today. I thank you for everything that was accomplished not only at the cross, but in the full finished work. Your death, your burial, your resurrection, your ascension, as well as then the ending of the law system and the sacrificial system that has now allowed us access. The way to the holy place has been made clear and it has been made plain. And we receive it completely. We thank you for everything you've done for us. Everything you've done as us. And we bless you, Father. In Jesus' name. I want you to do something. Would you put your hand in your heart a moment? And I want you to say something with me. And there's a reason for this. The kingdom of God is voice activated. The scripture says, I believe, therefore I speak. Uh, Speaking is not just something that that we're just told to do. It's actually extremely important because confession, speaking, is made unto sozo, salvation, wholeness, completeness, freedom, deliverance. There's a reason why God tells us to say certain things. And so I want you to decree this and make this your prayer out loud if you would. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for a better covenant, better blood, better promises. You're better than I thought you were. You're better than I could ever imagine. Thank you for this new covenant that I'm a part of. Thank you that I'm saved, not by my works, but by grace through faith. I receive your love. I receive your grace. Now flow through me to release that to the world around me so that lives can be transformed. I thank you for it. Thank you for freedom that we have in you. 
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now just lift your hands a second, would you? I want you to just receive whatever he has for you today. Receive his goodness. Receive his love. Maybe you're here and you've never believed. The scripture all says just believe. All you got to do is just accept and receive. It's already done. It's already finished. You just believe in what he's done. He's a better father than you.